thing for the next hour. And it's going to be one of those presentations that's always um, a little on the difficult side because we're going to talk about things a lot of this place and a lot of the country doesn't want to hear. Um, but we call it math. And, and first premise, I need to ask all of us, if I, if I were to walk into a room of Democrats, people on the left or people on the right, and say, what's the biggest threat over the next couple decades that is facing your country? You'd hear all sorts of things. You know, a couple of years ago with the Democrats, it was Russia, Russia. Today, it may be this and that. I'm going to argue it's demographics. And you go, huh? We're going to do almost 38 boards here and walking through the national debt, deficit, spending, spending priorities, and the reality on where there's revenues, taxes, what we call receipts. And then you have to ask yourself, does the next generation, generation after that, and generation after that, do they have the right to live in a country where there's some prosperity? Or has Washington, D.C. decided to just destroy those who are heading towards retirement, those who are heading towards elementary school and their future. So let's actually sort of walk through some of the realities of the math. Okay, and, and I'm not going to even bother with 1965 and what the mix was. Got to understand, in 2021, 77% of all the spending in this place, 77% of all the spending was what we call mandatory, formula, Social Security, Medicare, formulas. Only 10% was defense and 13% was everything else in government. So if you like to think that, well, you got lots of pro-defense Democrats and obviously pro-defense Republicans, and then mandatory is a formula that you don't even vote on here. You're electing members of Congress to come and vote on 13% of the spending in this budget cycle. This is how out of whack it is. And we're going to walk through how much of this mandatory is demographics. And look, getting older is not Republican or Democrat. But it is math. It is going to happen. So let's actually walk through a couple of the realities here. And I just threw this chart. I know it's impossible to, to read on a camera and those things. But the point is simple. Today, Social Security is 23% of all the spending. National defense is 15. Medicare is 14. In a couple of years, all those change. And I'm going to even show you some charts that if interest rates tick up even a little bit, defense actually starts to fall to fourth very, very soon. And to give you an idea, when you actually get up in front of audiences, and for conservative audiences, the folklore a decade ago was, well, waste and fraud, foreign aid. And then you'd pull out the charts and show that it's a fraction of a percent. Fine, maybe we should do something different in um, foreign aid. And yes, the spending from this year has massive fraud in it. But the long-term impacts of those is nothing compared to the fact, and we're going to have to be honest and have a conversation about how we save how we protect Medicare and Social Security, because what's going on around this place? You get politician after politician get behind these microphones and say, I'm going to protect Medicare, I'm going to protect your Social Security, while they're driving it into the ground. 
So let's actually start to walk through how fast it's eroding. From 2019 to 2031, and 2031 is what? How many years from now? It's functionally nine budget cycles from now. We will have doubled, we will have doubled the debt. You gotta understand how fast this is eroding from us. And the more current numbers, because this slide was done about a year or two ago, it's actually much worse with the spending during the pandemic. So let's actually start to also walk through where we need to understand Social Security, healthcare entitlements, interest costs drive 90% of the 2008 to 2031 spending hikes. So got to get let's get that back let's back that up. If you take a look at Social Security, Medicare and then the interest attached to those, that's what drives the deficit. Remember our earlier comment, it's our demographics. And this place is unwilling to actually have honest conversations of how we are going to protect access to those earned benefits because the numbers are so big and so scary. What do you have? What do you have? What do you, you, you have here even today? Member after member running to the microphones talking about how we're going to functionally give away more. But if you're under 50, we're about to make your future, matter of fact, it's already baked in the cake, your future is really dangerous right now. So let's actually walk a little bit more through what the slides look like. Rising Social Security and Medicare shortfalls drive nearly entire 2019-2031 non-pandemic. So this is before the pandemic. And you start to understand that this is before the pandemic calculations. We were heading towards about $2.2 trillion a year in borrowing before the pandemic. That's the baseline number. When you actually start to really understand that this is the general revenues, and when you start to add up all the shortfalls, you're heading towards a time where functionally a third of your government is living on borrowed money. So let's actually do a little bit more. You've all seen this slide. Um, lots of people like to use it. You know, the national debt is set to match the World War II peak within a decade. Well, guess what? We're pretty much there. We pretty much now have hit that the, what they call the percentage of GDP. And why do we use that? Because there's this theory that says the size of the economy is what allows you to borrow money. And as long as you don't borrow too much money where you start to, the interest costs start to burden the availability of what they call capital stock for an economy to grow, the economy to have new investments. And the fear is, remember, it wasn't that long ago we used to talk about well, when we hit 100% of GDP, you know, that means the borrowing, the publicly borrowed money will be the size of the economy. Guess what? We've already surpassed that. We've done it. And you're going to see some boards here that should terrify you. Long-term baseline. And these are all that now I've got to give credit where credit's due. Um, Manhattan Institute, Brian Riddell, basically what he does is he takes the um, uh, CBO numbers and I think some from joint tax 
and tries to make them digestible. He also lays out what the short term, which is tenure, um, 20 and 30 year layouts are. And you could go right now to that website and download these same charts for yourself. But the long-term baseline shows absolutely unsustainable debt. And this side has gotten worse since last year when we printed it. Because it actually had in 2050, so functionally less than 30 years, we were approaching up to 195% of debt, borrowed money, the size of the uh, total economy. So functioning twice the size of the economy. That number has actually now gotten much worse because what we've done in the pandemic financing and a whole bunch of the other promises that have come in and other spending that's happened during unified government from the left. So once again, trying to actually demonstrate it's not falling revenues. And we have dozens of charts. I only brought a couple of them, but on the, on the slide deck, that makes it very clear when you look at this red line is what in, in ways and means we would call receipts. Most people think of it as tax revenues. This is, it's basically where it has always been at. If you actually go back to the 60s and 70s, it was about 17.3% of GDP came in as revenues, as taxes. Now we're actually heading towards a time where it's about 18.5%. So it's actually higher. But what's this line here? You see this spike, okay, that's the pandemic. But then you get back to trend line. Why is the trend line exploding in that direction where 31.8% more spending than revenues? It's demographics, healthcare costs. So let's actually do another one. Medicare Part A, and Social Security trust funds face bankruptcy. The Medicare trust fund is gone in about six years. And remember, the post-tax cuts and, and reform, you know, when we reformed the tax code, because the economy was growing so fast and so many people were working, we actually, I think at that time, went from like four years left in the Part A trust fund of Medicare. Remember, only the hospital portion of Medicare has a trust fund. Everything else comes out of the general fund. We actually added a couple of years because there were so many people working and therefore paying their FICA taxes. But does this concern anyone that Social Security Trust Fund is gone? The Medicare, the hospital portion of the trust fund is gone in functionally five years. Is anyone paying attention? Or once again, will we try to manage this by crisis? But the scale of these numbers are just stunning. And then we live in this financial fantasy world in this place. Okay, here's the slide. I have done the, a version of this slide for a decade now. And I've been booed in front of audiences for telling them the truth. And, and, and there's something wrong in our psyche when we're so used to politicians lying to us that we almost want them to, don't tell me the truth, it hurts too much. Now, I've been on this floor dozens and dozens and dozens of times saying there is a path. The future doesn't have to be this dystopian, debt-laden financial collapse. There is a path, but you have to have a revolution in the cost of health care, economic growth. There's a series of things, and you have to do all of them together. And the thing that terrifies me the most is how many times do you have anyone come behind these microphones and talk about 
the scale of the debt that's coming or solutions to it. And the fact of the matter is, I don't know if our public votes on this. God knows you don't raise money telling people the truth about what's going on. But my, I have a six-year-old daughter. Doesn't she deserve to live in a prosperous country? Because this is going to crush prosperity for everyone, and it's going to wipe out lots of people in retirement. So once again, you've got to understand, this chart, this is congressional budget often numbers, say in about 29 years, we have $112 trillion of borrowing debt. And this is an inflation-adjusted number. So this is in constant dollars. And you're going to notice the entire 30-year debt comes from Medicare and then Social Security. The rest of the budget is actually in balance. If this place isn't willing to have a revolution in the cost of delivering health care to our brothers and sisters and our seniors, our future is really ugly. And got to understand, there's a fraud around here. You'll get people from the left say, well, we should do Medicare for all. Medicare for all is a financing bill. It does nothing to the cost of health care. Obamacare, uh, the ACA, was a financing bill. It was about who got subsidized and who had to pay. The Republican alternative was a financing bill. It was about who got to pay and who got subsidized. None of them are doing things that change the cost of health care. I didn't bring this slide here because I did it just two weeks ago that shows 31% of Medicare spending is just diabetes. The single most powerful thing you could do to help the United States in its sovereign debt and to end misery in our minority communities and my tribal communities out in Arizona is do an Operation Warp Speed, go after type 2 diabetes. Isn't that something Republicans and Democrats could agree upon? And guess what? It has amazing economic impacts. We're working on a math problem right now. We actually believe solving diabetes could be one of the single biggest things you could do to income inequality. Because you take a look at some of our urban minority populations that suffer from diabetes and some of my tribal communities out west. And if you normalize saying, what would happen, what would this population's income and prosperity look like if you cure diabetes, that income inequality number shrinks dramatically. It's not a bunch of transfer payments. It's solving people's misery. But it's a little hard campaigning on something that's complicated, isn't it? So this is the slide out of everything I'm going to show that I actually see in my dreams. It really, really bothers me because I don't have really elegant ways to explain how dystopian this number is. Projected 2051 budget deficits are entirely driven, Social Security and Medicare. But do you see this number here? It's basically saying almost 21% of the entire GDP will be outlays for Social Security and Medicare. But revenues will only be 6%. This gap here is solely living on borrowed money. This over here is the rest of the budget. Turns out the rest of the budget, revenues actually are outpacing the rest of spending. And that's all of the government. That's defense, that's 
um, environment, that's everything, education. But this gap right here is what brings us to that hundred and what was that number before? $112 trillion of borrowing in the next 29 years. And, and you've got to get your head around this. That's assuming the CBO numbers that there's no recessions. There's no economic slowdowns. There's no major terrorist attacks that slow down the economy. There's not another pandemic. That's a baseline number. Do you understand how fragile we've made this economy because we're unwilling to tell the truth about these numbers? I had a political consultant once tell me, Schweikert, you can't tell the truth about the debt and financing because it'll get you unelected. Um, I'm incredibly blessed. I, I represent North Maricopa County, so Scottsdale, Carefree, Cave Creek, Town of Paradise Valley, Fountain Hills. I represent a bunch of really smart people. And they're not happy when I show them this, but they understand it's math. And I don't get my head around how this becomes partisan because you're going to see, if you take a look at the pieces of legislation the left drops, they're trying to expand the programs at the same time they're collapsing. I mean, the lunacy. So let's take a look. Let's do the same thing trying to get our heads around. And remember, this slide was done before the pandemic's scale of borrowing. So which we're going to be paying interest on that for decades and decades and decades because we never pay it off. Social Security faces, functionally, $35 trillion shortfall over the next 30 years. Now it's 29 years. $32 trillion if you... Uh, if you include the trust fund balances. So functionally, just Social Security has a $32 trillion shortfall over the next 29 years, okay? Oddly enough, we could sit down around a table and that $32 trillion shortfall on Social Security, we can figure that out. Because it's being a defined benefit system as it is, the math, you have about a dozen, two dozen levers or you could say, we're going to stop subsidizing really, really, really rich people. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to allow. There's ways to deal with that. The one that's just brutal math-wise is this one. So Social Security is $32 trillion short. Medicare is $78 trillion. Medicare is $78 trillion short. And this one is much more difficult and yet the solution around here is well we'll just subsidize more people and borrow the money there is a path but you got to be willing to functionally legalize technology disrupt the cost of health care and there's some amazingly good things happening you, you actually, with the messenger RNA, there's so many diseases that if we would invest in, we could actually cure misery today and reap the benefits in the future. Oh, and I've only come to the floor dozens of times trying to share that math. So once again, let's take a look. This is also something that is disharmonious to what a lot of people believe. But the typical retiring couple, and this is before pandemic, will receive $3 in Medicare for every dollar they paid in. Now, Social Security 
you functionally get really close to what you paid it, put into it. Social Security is a fairly square deal. Medicare, we have a problem. That typical retiring couple, you know, two years ago when we were doing this math, or Brian Riddell was doing this math, would put in about $161,000 in a lifetime, and they were taking out or receiving benefits of about $522,000. That gap right there is almost the sole primary driver of most of the U.S. sovereign debt over the next 30 years. If we're willing to actually have an honest conversation of what do we do to keep our brothers and sisters healthy, to provide access and resources, but do it in a modern way, and could we bend this cost differential here? Because if we do that, remember, we were just talking a moment ago, 31% of this is just diabetes in our seniors. If you took that on, that's the single greatest thing you could do to bending this curve and saving the economic future of this society. And we also need to deal with a bit of the folklore. Now, this is folklore that comes from the left. You do realize the tax code has already been getting more progressive. You do realize the 2017 tax reform was more progressive than the tax code before 2017. And look, you actually go back to the 80s, 90s. You know, the top 20% at that time were all paying about 60% of all federal income taxes. Today they're paying 70%. This is the top 20%. So it's, it's folklore. Now it's good political folklore. It's good campaign folklore. We're going to make the rich pay their fair share. Fine. Stop subsidizing them. We've already done a demonstration here repeatedly that we come up with a trillion, trillion four over 10 years of direct subsidies to the really, really, really rich. So the absurdity that's in the current tax plan being offered by the Democrats is let's do this. Let's raise their taxes. Oh, by the way, wink, wink, nod, nod. You make $800,000 a year. We're going to give you tax credits of $118,000 if you buy what Democrats tell you to buy. Okay. Well, why not go further? Why not remove the trillion, trillion four in direct subsidies that we give to the rich? And then put that towards balancing some of these, well, actually slowing the erosion. Because you're not going to balance this. Any politician gets up and says, we're going to balance the budget. We're going to pay off the debt and deficits. Our job is just to stabilize it at this point. Because the numbers are so large. If you get someone who comes behind these microphones and throws out the rhetoric of, well, it's foreign aid, it's waste and fraud, well, we're going to you know, eliminate the balance, the budget by doing this, buy them batteries for their calculator, because they obviously don't have one. And, and this comes back to dealing with the reality. No defense cuts, taxing millionaires cannot finance current deficits. The, the progressive wish list, if you actually go the proposals that the left has proposed this year, functionally, you know, the, the free college, the job guarantees, the Medicare for all, you start to add that up, and if you start to wipe out everything else, you functionally have just blown up the deficit by another 
then math just doesn't work. So let's actually sort of walk through. This is important. President Biden promised in his campaign $11 trillion in new spending over the 10 years. $11 trillion in new spending. And, and these, and, and look, they're all cited. They're either CBO or Committee for Responsible Budget. But you start to look at, this is just the campaign promises of $11 trillion of new spending. On top of, what is it, the four-plus trillion dollar baseline budget plus the couple trillion additional we did over the last two years. And now you have, the, what was it, the, the original scoring of the Build Back Better plan was what? Um, they claimed three and a half, but it really scored out to five, five and a half trillion. This is the lunacy we're at. And yet... If you come and add up every potential tax hike the left talks about, you know, get rid of any changes we did in tax reform that created the great growth. You actually start to take all income over 200000 and just take 50% of it. Just, hey, you make $200,000 in your household, we take 50% of it. You do all the tax hikes that are on the entire list of the Democrats. Over a decade, you functionally raised $12 trillion. Okay. The deficit's already projected before, before the pandemic was going to be over $13 trillion at that time. So you could do every, and you got to, and that's not assuming you just blew up the economy, you slowed down growth. Madam Speaker, may I ask for the time? The gentleman has 33 minutes remaining. Thank you, Madam Speaker. I know this is a lot of boards, but in some ways you, you, you need it to try to drill in because this is un, we hate talking about this around here. It's like, I can't tell you, I, I will start to do these presentations even with some of my conservative brothers and sisters and they run away from me. But it's the math. If you actually take the progressive programs overwhelmingly benefit the rich. This is one of my fixations here because I think this is something the left and those of us on the right could actually come to an agreement to. Let's stop subsidizing the rich. You actually start to walk over you know, the, the things we provide to families with high incomes and you actually walk through the amount we actually brought a presentation on the floor a couple of weeks ago and showed a trillion, a trillion four hundred thousand dollars that goes to the very top quartile. And so that's the lunacy that's going on around here is we want to tax the rich, but we're going to turn around and hand it to them, back to them. Um, you know, if it's my fourth house and I happen to buy it on a beach, should I be getting subsidized flood insurance? So the Biden budget proposals would add $8.8 trillion in debt over the next decade, and that's with the Biden tax hikes. How often are we talking about that around here? But that's how CBO already scores it. Even eliminating all defense spending doesn't get you close 
to actually making a difference in the long-term debt. So think of this. This is the defense line. And, and the baseline is basically projected to sit about now for the future decades at about 35 to 4% of GDP. But you start taking a look at go out to that 2050 number, we're at almost 16% of GDP. It's the size of the economy will just be the spending on Social Security and Medicare. Does anyone sort of see a difference? Hey, you know, 4 to 16? But this is the reality. But yet we will get people that will come behind these microphones, members, and say, you know, if we would cut defense, if we would do this, we'll balance it. No, you won't. That's not the math, and you know it's not the math. We need to stop misinforming, and my wife would refer to it as lying, to the public and start telling the truth and treat them like adults of what's going on. Remember, the problem ultimately isn't Republican or Democrat. It's demographics. We as a society have made lots of promises, and if we're going to keep them, we need to tell the truth about the math. Turns out the growth in the economy is crucial, even with my most optimistic math. When we've come here and said we can have a revolution, the cost of delivering health care, we can do all these things. The linchpin of it is you must have the economic growth. And you actually take a look during when President Obama oversaw about a half a trillion dollars of new taxes. And we functionally lost. $3.2 trillion of economic expansion. If we're going to raise taxes, you've got to think it through in a way that what's the economic growth effect at the end of the decade, the next decade, and the decade after that. Because if you don't keep growing the size of this economy, that ratio of borrowing, because the borrowing is exploding, if you don't, aren't growing the economy as fast, there's a technical economic term for it. It's called we're screwed. Even a 100% tax rate on small businesses and upper income families could not come close to balancing the long-term budget. Take everything. Take all the money from upper income. Take all the money from small businesses and you still don't get close to balancing. We all know this. Why is it so incapable of this place telling the truth? I mean, are we that addicted to the spending, our, our constituents, our voters, our contributors, that addicted to us handing them checks? But this is the basic chart. It makes it very, very clear. You can't solve the long-term budget even if you go out and confiscate 100% of small businesses' wealth and the upper income's wealth. And here's where the reality starts, should be terrifying you. National debt is projected to leap to 200%, 328% of GDP, depending on if those Biden proposals pass and if there's any interest rate changes. So you start taking a look like at this. When you start to see $328 trillion of borrowing in 28 years, 29 years, you get this sort of number if the Biden proposals passed and interest rates go up by 1%. You've got to understand how fragile we are. 
is there anyone around here that's a fan of Taleb? You know, the guy who wrote Black Swan, Anti-Fragile, talks about, you know, that you can see these things coming. Do things not to make yourself because there are going to be other economic black swans. We have made this country incredibly economically fragile because these numbers are coming. Now, this one happens to come if the Biden uh, administration and the Democrats here get their proposals. But even if they don't, you're still well over 200% of debt to GDP as the baseline. The share of federal tax revenue spent on interest on the national debt is projected to surge. Okay, here's the simple thought experiment. Today, interest, and with our incredibly low interest rates, is about 9% of GDP. If we get two points interest rate hike, in 2051, it's 100% of GDP is just interest. Doesn't this terrify anyone else? I can't be alone in looking at these numbers and just panic for my society, for my country, my daughter. Since 1990, non-defense discretionary spending has grown four times faster than defense. This is important because we keep getting, seeing people come behind these microphones talking about the skyrocketing cost of defense. Non-discretionary is going four times faster. Over the last 20 years, four times faster. And you saw it in the opening slide that basically said 70% of all of our spending is mandatory today. 10% is defense, and everything else is what we really get to vote on. Coronavirus legislation, and we're all guilty on this. Democrats substantially more guilty, but we're all guilty. Pushed the 20 and 21 federal spending past $50,000 per household. So if you're a household out there during this pandemic cycle, do you feel you got $50,000 worth of value? Because you're going to pay for it for the rest of your life, the rest of your kid's life, the rest of your grandkid's life with lots of interest. But functionally, this spike you see here was $50,000 per household. That's what we did during the pandemic. And you've got to understand, we've had an incredible free ride the last couple of years. The Federal Reserve is functionally financed our debt. And now we're financing our own inflation. I'm sure some of you have been to a grocery store, filled up your gas tank. Welcome to what happens when you do Keynesian economics. But here's a reality. Do you see the little line down here? This is China. This is Japan. This is the rest of the world. This is the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is functionally about five times more financing our debt than China and Japan together. We're playing a shell game ourselves. We're financing our own debt. And then you wonder why you have inflation. And, and we've all been in this body, and this, I know there's always angst when we get near 
the debt ceiling. But the fact of the matter is if you take a look at the last 40 years, almost the only times we've actually had any attempt to bend the spending curve, bend the borrowing curve, bend the debt curve, have, been, have come out of negotiations to raise the debt ceiling. Budget deals, we've had a number of them. Remember the Budget Control Act, some of the others? Now, the problem is we have had some of these where we set baselines and they were actually sort of working. And then this place all runs away from them. But there's a fraud in those. And that was they were always tied to discretionary spending, not the mandatory that's functionally driving the debt. And look, um, some of my brothers and sisters on the left have said, well, it was tax reform. That's just not true. If you actually look at the contributor that if everything from tax reform was extended permanently, it's a fraction. It's a tiny fraction. And that's assuming without CBO, remember, CBO wasn't giving us the value for all the economic growth we particularly had in 2018 and 2019. But that's not the math. And the six major deficit reduction deals that we've had since 1983, if you take a look at them, almost all of it was undiscretionary. It saved us some money and interest. We did raise some more taxes. We did a little bit in the early 80s under Ronald Reagan on uh, mandatory Social Security. But you take a look at them, and they had a pretty darn oppressive effect. Remember the surpluses in the late 90s? But today we've let it get away from us. And you take a look at what became of the 1.7 billion in promised. Remember 2013 till this year, there was supposed to be about 1.7 trillion in functionally reductions in spending. You remember the Budget Control Act? Except what happened? Well, time after time after time, both Republicans and Democrats came here and whittled it away because we wanted to spend more money. And we lost much of the value. So we did gain about a trillion dollars of savings over those 10 years. Could have been double that if we hadn't whittled it away. The last thing, and I hope our brothers and sisters on the left will actually step up and help us on this one. We look. The current number is actually substantially higher than this because this slide now is a couple months old. But we think we've identified over $200 billion in functionally mis and fraudulent claims and payments during the pandemic. You know, you've seen some of the crazy stories of how much fraud there's been in unemployment in California. We need to tell the truth about the health care costs, Medicare driving our debt. But I believe in a holistic theory. You need to go after everything. You need to go after what we know is the fraud from the last two years. We also need to tell the truth about bending the curve on delivering health care. And there's ways to do it. 
This place just needs to stop being so fearful of telling the truth about the debt and deficits because if we don't grow up and take this head on, it's going to take our head off. And with that, Madam Speaker, I yield back.